Hey everyone, welcome to the Connected Athlete again. Um, this is our third um, interviewee. First was Professor Tim Noakes, then we had Shane Finn on the other end of the line in, where are you, Sydney or Melbourne? Noosa, Noosa. Noosa, Noosa, Noosa. Yeah. Noosa, we've got uh, Pete Jacobs um, on the other line who has yeah, quite an interesting uh, story to tell. So uh, uh, very quickly, we recorded this a week ago. I forgot to hit the record button. So here we are again, and we're going to kind of uh, yeah, be a little bit more detailed and summarize as to what we go through. So anyway, uh, Pete, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, just for anybody that's watching this uh, in sporting um, terms, uh, what's your kind of history to, yeah, what have you done and where are you now? Um, got into triathlon when I was about 18 and did my first Ironman when I was 20. And from that race, I decided that, and had an instinctive feeling that I could be the best in the world. So my goal was from that day to win Hawaii. Um, I turned professional a couple of years after that and took me 10 years, um, up and down results with fatigue issues, uh, just not being able to fire when I wanted to fire and unexplained, you know, medical tests and nothing ever showed up anything and then i got top 10 i got eighth place in 20 2009 at hawaii ironman then 2010 i was ninth because i got a five minute penalty for taking too long to pass then 2011 i placed second there to craig alexander and that was a quick day i went 809 and crowey went 803 and then the year later, I went there full of confidence. I ticked every single box that I could, that I knew of at the time, and uh, actually had a relatively easy day and uh, took out the title by five minutes and, yeah, got off the bike in second place and just kind of jogged around to a, um, yeah, relatively good uh, an Ironman there. But, you know, slower, much slower than the year that I won. But, yeah, you've only got to go as fast as you need to go. And okay. then... Where I'm at now is I took 2018 off after my health issues got worse and the fatigue got worse. I decided I needed a, I couldn't race again until I figured it out a little bit and got some solid answers for the first time. Then I started to get some solid answers towards the end of 2018, feeling better. 2019 led me to um, carnivore diet, cutting out all lectins and carbohydrates. And then over, you know, the next few months, I figured out there was still an issue of meat, fish and eggs. I was still having some issues, uh, some fluctuations in my skin, my bowels, my fatigue. And I cut out, uh, I lowered all my histamine foods. So about two and a half months ago, maybe only two months ago, I um, started eating low histamine foods, which basically means I now only eat fresh red meat. Occasionally, I do have a bit of pork, a bit of chicken, um, a bit of goat, um, you know, but basically just mostly grass-fed beef out of the freezer, cook it in the pressure cooker um, or the slow cooker, and that's how I eat, and um, I'm improving. I'm actually able to tolerate a bit more variables in my diet than I used to, and uh, my, my issues are um, less common now. You know, my skin issues, I'm not noticing. They're not as bad. And I'm really just starting the, I'm really just starting now. So 
it's only been a couple of months of a bit more consistency. So I'm really looking forward to the next couple of months are pretty packed full of racing 70.3s. And then I'm really looking forward to December, January, February, you know, some good big miles and look at doing an Ironman and come, have, making a proper comeback next year. Okay. There's a lot there. Um, just to go back through the stages, uh, usually I have to argue quite uh, deeply with athletes and um, <clears throat> various other coaches and doctors as to why you don't need that much carbohydrate for performance. Um, so Kona 2012, which you won, 8 hours 16, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what was your two? diet then? Um, I was having gels in the race, um, plenty of gels. And overall in general foods? Uh, overall in general foods, um, pretty much the same every day. It wasn't high carb. It wasn't high sugar. Okay. Every meal was, every meal was brown rice, um, tuna, olive oil, some kidney beans occasionally, and some spinach. And a little bit of sweet chili sauce. So that, that was the sugar. But okay. I didn't have, I, I wouldn't eat ice cream. I wouldn't eat biscuits. I wouldn't eat, okay. you know, treats. So right. pretty much the same meal every day. I wouldn't eat, I didn't eat cereal that I remember much. You know, it was, that was meal about three times a day. Great. <laughs> okay. Then you had your fatigue issues. And what prompted you then to go low carb? I started to talk to Phil Maffetone and okay. I'd listened to a lot of his stuff and putting, it took me a while though to put together the low carb diet with the aerobic exercise. Okay. Cause I, I knew, I know, I knew nothing about exercise physiology, you know, five years ago, nothing. Right. And yeah. now I think i probably know more than most of the other athletes um, on yes. the course. Okay. And yes. Yeah, so Phil, Phil recommended grain free, higher fat and that improved me a little bit but again i'm still having quite a lot of symptoms okay which is one one of the reasons why i wanted to get you on here is because uh over the, you know that i've been an advocate of fat adaptation and a lower lower carb approach and but one of the main kind of uh, counter arguments that i have gotten is that you cannot be low carb and do high intensity or perform at elite level. So just tell me what's been your best 70.3 over the last few months and what mm. time have you done and what has your run split been? Um, I don't really know times, but um, I've run 112s this year and uh, probably slightly short course, but basically running three. 30, 335s off the bike. Okay, perfect. And so off a hard off a hard bike ride. Heart rate's up around 85% of max. Okay. And so to run run one twelve half marathon off the bike. Most academics would tell you that that's physiologically on a zero carb diet impossible. And zero how are you how are, how are you producing energy to do that? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't take any carbohydrates during the halves either. Okay. Um, I rinse and spit Coke and maybe ingest, you know, 10 or 20 mil of Coke if, um, you know, if I feel like it. But 
on the bike, no carbohydrates and just, just use caffeine and caffeine on the run as well. And yes, thankfully I've met some very smart doctors and professors and, and people like yourself that I've listened to um, that I've learned that that uh, partly my being, being almost zero carb day to day, I'm very well adapted to using every energy pathway that I can. So not just fat or carbohydrates, but as the fat gets burned, it releases glycerol. So the glycerol through gluconeogenesis gets converted. Amino acids through gluconeogenesis. Um, other recycling pathways like lactate. And there's a few other, you know, acetyl-CoA instead of just becoming all ketones. So my ketones day to day and in training, racing, are pretty low. I don't get high ketone numbers. But that's because that acetyl-CoA is still being used through other pathways like the Krebs cycle. Instead of just shutting down that pathway, all going into ketones, and therefore your ketones, if your ketones are high, you're just wasting them, basically. So I feel I'm incredibly efficient now. Um, My intake for calories per day during training in terms of from from meat, it needs to be relatively moderate. Um, because otherwise I put on weight because I'm now so efficient at using my own body fat that, you know, um, if I eat too much, I don't lose any weight and I, I just want to lose another kilo to get down to race weight. And, um, yeah, so it's, uh, I'm very efficient in many, many ways I've found and um, I don't understand all of it. You understand that side a lot better than me. Yeah. So one of the things I've, um, been trying to, um, kind of delve into is that like you said it's not a black and white you've got two sources of energy it's not just carbohydrate it's not just fats mm. we've got multiple energy systems and i've written quite in detail about them but the bottom line is is the more you switch them on the more systems you switch on the better um, and that's that's what a fat adapted approach to to nutrition and training and lifestyle is um, so there's a couple of and things. I do, yeah. Well, I do. I want to add in that I still use carbohydrates that I produce, not just through gluconeogenesis, but my liver um, as well. So my liver is producing glucose from the glycogen stores, which athletes or people that have high ketones and very, very low blood sugars, it would appear that their liver is not operating at an optimal level to give them some blood sugar and as you said, then the, um, and the ketones come from the liver. So it feels like, you know, you want a balance of every possible source of energy. And um, yeah, if the liver is yeah. not doing one of them, it's, uh, you're missing out. Exactly. What I always say is that um, your body can produce glucose. So, um, and the more efficient you become at making glucose, they've shown, I don't know if you remember the FASTER study done by mm, yeah. Actually, they had a low carb, a very low carb group. And they had them do a three-hour treadmill run. Anyway, long story short, one of the findings was post-exercise, the low-carb group, their muscle glycogen content was very similar to the high-carb group, right? So if we did a muscle biopsy of your quad muscle, there is still glycogen there. Um, so that's, that's the deeper kind of understanding that people, when people go, oh, low carb, it doesn't mean that your body actually is low carb. 
Um, yeah. In fact, it means that you've upregulated your own body system to, to manufacture glucose. Um, some devil's advocate, um, so just to summarize, uh, and I like this as well, is one of the reasons you've gone extreme, let's call it low carb, and eliminated certain food groups is from not performance, but health issues, right? Yeah. yeah. And anyone familiar with the paleo diet will know about lectins and phytates and oxalates. And some people, and not all, but some people um, become inflamed when they eat those foods. So eliminating, you know, legumes and a lot of plant foods can actually be a lower um, inflammatory way of, of, of eating. Um, some obvious stuff. But again, because you've gone to the extreme end of this way of eating due to health reasons, uh, one of the classic uh, arguments is that your gut health is, is crucial for immune system and gut brain communication. Uh, is just eating predominantly meats not harming your gut health and your, by not having fiber to help gut bacteria grow? Uh, well, my 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 bowels and IBS and everything it, it's the best it's ever been for starters um, I've had gut issues for you know 17 years or something and a great easy way of saying you don't need fiber or it's not helping is um, dr. Paul Mason's YouTube on low carb down under about fiber um, and he just goes through all the research showing that uh, it won't improve your symptoms if you do have any pain constipation discomfort um, every study will show that extra fiber won't help that. And the gut health argument is incredibly um, a gray area because most of the scientists that are at the high level of looking at this stuff, they, make, they might come out with a paper that says this may help, this possible connection. But they've really, they admit that they don't know because there's no way for anybody to know what gut health everybody should have what food everybody should have what bacteria what amounts of which bacteria i mean we're talking about millions and millions of different bacteria in your gut and they the people that promote gut health through fermentation or starches or pro probiotics or prebiotics and they're trying to influence your gut health from these meals and it's like your gut will be healthy if you're healthy. If you're eating non-processed, real food, there is no possible way that the human, humans evolved to need fermented, starchy, uh, prebiotic, you know, different types of bacteria. Um, it's incredible. As I've eaten healthier and healthier, um, and the last couple of months I've gotten healthier, I'm, I'm, I'm having less and less symptoms. So histamine was an issue. I think that my gut is not reacting as much to high histamine foods as it was before. So that's not just gut health, but that's like, you know, the pH in my, in my gut. I now obviously can digest meat very well because I've been eating mostly meat this year, which if you haven't eaten meat for a while, you're going to have trouble. So, and you've probably got GERD and acid reflux issues if you're eating lots of carbohydrates. Um, It'll take a while to switch to meat. But then even uh, the DOA, dioxamine, um, something that uh, helps counteract the histamine, 
when that has to get a trigger from your body to say, okay, you now need to go in because the histamine was just eaten and counteract that. So those signaling processes aren't working well if you're not healthy because everything is connected is what I find. And there's no point talking about one thing in any individual regard. Um, you just have to be, if the cells are optimally healthy, the signaling will be optimal health and then your body will find its optimal health. Yeah, I mean, we can almost put fiber in the same category as salt, saturated fat, cholesterol. It's starting to become, uh, you know, again, one of these misunderstood and sort of industry-driven recommendations. Um, just, I have another couple of questions on the extremism of carnivore and how it applies to you and, and what general pe generally people react to. But um, very quickly, what did you give us an average day of what did you do yesterday, including training and what you eat? Yeah, well, I'll go today because yesterday I flew home from China. China. And that's, that's probably an interesting one too because I fasted on the trip. Okay. So about 20 hours on the way home. On the way there, it's more like 26 hours because get there, sleep, wake up, have breaky. So each way that I've traveled, I've just fasted. and I'm very comfortable doing that. Um, but today, so woke up and yeah, I woke up fairly early because I had a big day yesterday of traveling and I was hungry early. So I cooked some pressure cooked meat. So I went for it. Well, first of all, I went for an hour jog. Um, just, you know, very slow and gentle first, first run after all that travel and the race, uh, an hour jog and came home and had my slow cooked, um, lean off cuts of red, of grass fed beef. So that's probably, that was probably about six, 700, 600 grams of that six, 700 grams. Just cooked on a pan and or what? what, what in, the, in the pressure, in the pressure cooker. Okay. So that cooked for a couple of, or slow cooked it on high for a couple of hours. And then at lunch, I had a tiny bit of bacon with some lamb's fry. So probably about 400 grams of liver or something like that um, with a tiny bit of bacon. And then I just had dinner and actually then I went swimming and swam just a quick card three Ks. And then for dinner, I had two lamb shanks. Right. So they were quite big lamb shanks too. And they were yeah, delicious. Two meals. <laughs> Well, three, three today, but often I have two. Yeah. Um, okay. Just depending how late that first session goes. If I train until 10 and I don't eat till around 10 or 11, then usually I'm not going to eat again and I'll eat about five o'clock. So okay. two big meals. Yeah. So absolutely no, um, no types of plant foods, no grains, no herbs, no nothing, right? Today, because I've just come back from China and I'm noticing that I'm tolerating food a lot better, I chucked in a basil leaf into my lamb shanks tonight. <laughs> okay, basil leaf, okay. Yeah. So, again, one of the counter arguments would be, I've noticed even myself, if I just have, let's say, a steak, um, there would be some, I, I have no problem eating, you know, just a ribeye steak or something, but... And um, would, I would have a problem with maybe some satiety appetite. In other words, fullness in your stomach. Um, simply, you, you're not getting much volume of food. 
So do you find that you have kind of more hunger now? Do you, do you find that your your appetite is is controlled? Yes and no. If I see food, I want it. You know, I'm a typical athlete and a typical, um, you know, if I see it, I want it. But if I'm, as I said, traveling 24 hours, no food, I'm very, I don't get hungry. And I don't get hungry between meals. If I'm out and about, I'm, I'm not hungry. I can't remember the last time I experienced hunger. Um, what I experience is that I enjoy my food and I really want, you know, some extra, extra nourishment and I just enjoy it. I do. So once I start eating, I, I will eat everything in front of me once I start, start eating. I never actually feel full. And I've been to an all-you-can-eat meat restaurant and probably put away in one meal like a good kilo and a bit of meat and only after a non-stop buffet of, of meat at a Brazilian meat buffet, am I actually starting to be like, you know what? I'm probably like had enough. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny. I don't actually feel full even eating, even eating 700, 800 grams of meat. Um, I don't actually ever feel bloated. I don't feel sick. I don't feel any sense of reflux. Um, and I don't even feel much different to before I started eating, you know what I mean? I'm not full and I, wa I wasn't hungry before I ate, but I wanted the food and I'm not hungry after I ate and I could still eat more food. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So just, you, you mentioned grams there. Have you worked out what your protein intake on an average day is in terms of protein, actual protein grams? It's, it's probably pretty high because I eat pretty lean, lean cuts a lot of yeah. the time. So if you're consuming Absolutely. about a kilo of meat, well, kilo and a, up to one and a half kilos. Yeah, so you, you could be up around 300, 400 grams of yeah, protein easy. today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, another counter-argument is, is that damaging your kidneys? <laughs> well, I don't feel that I'm getting damaged kidneys. Okay. Uh, the counter-argument for that is, well, we, we grew up, and I always just go back to the ancestral argument, and that is, what would we have done back in the day? So yep. we have a very high pH. So um, if you liken us more like to wolves um, or lions, um, our pH is quite similar to dogs. So we can digest meat quite well and easily. And there's no evidence. There's, there's been research to show that there may be changes that occur when you get very high protein but none of these research actually say this is definitely detrimental if you're eating four grams per kilo they end up just saying well the urea increases or the nitrogen increases but they've never actually shown damage to a kidney and as your kidneys process more meat they become more efficient at it so again it's a bit like the um uh, the vegan argument about they don't feel good eating meat. And it's like, well, yes, your stomach pH is rubbish right now. And your kidneys haven't processed protein in a long time. So yes, you are going to feel rubbish the first time you have meat. And you shouldn't use that as an excuse for never having meat just because you felt rubbish that one time you tried it. Yeah. So basically the body adapts. Um, you know, we, we 
we evolved eating meat and I don't see that if we saw an abundance of meat, I don't think we would have gone around, stopped and said, you know what, I, I've just eaten, you know, this much meat, even though I'm skinny and winter is coming, I'll just stop eating this and, uh, you know, I'll stop eating. I think there's no argument that um, we would have stopped eating at any point when our whole entire goal is survival. Yes. And to gain, okay. to gain energy, to gain weight, to gain nutrients. Um, that's our goal in life. Okay, I was going to actually make that point too. And a lot of my, although I like to argue, particularly when I'm writing, I like to argue in technical science terms, a lot of my general kind of arguments come back to relating to ancestral hunter-gatherer times. A lot of my initial nutrition um, information came from looking at Lorian Cordain's research on the paleo diet and stuff like that. Um, and it makes sense. It does make sense. It's like, um, you know, in terms of eating as to how we existed for hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years on this planet. But based on that fact, um, we are designed to be omnivores and live based on what's available to us. Mm. Um, but if you're only choosing one food group, you're then, you're then sort of, you're going against the way you are ancestrally designed to eat. You're, you know, you're, you should be able to dip into a few food groups. So mm. um, some would say that you're not being primal, you know? Yeah. And most carnivals end up carnival because they've had health issues because they've still got IBS. They're still experiencing issues related to, inflammation in their intestinal wall that is causing inflammation other areas of their body so arthritis autoimmune conditions um they're the main kind of people that end up going towards carnival and even just ibs issues and that um argument of not eating plants is well it's not the optimal food so we know that liver is the highest nutrient dense food not only nutrient dense but we will absorb animal nutrients far better than we will absorb plant nutrients so i think the term that a lot of people uh, like amber o'hearn use is the facultative carnivore and that's how she describes the human race that we were designed to be carnivore but we're able to eat plant foods when we need to when we have to do that gathering we can when the berries are on the tree for you know two three weeks of the year in our local area and we needed to gain fat quickly through fructose that's what we did and uh there was no limit i that's why i think when a i don't that's why i don't get full very easily i can eat a lot of food because ancestrally we needed to be able to do that and the same goes for sugar very few people would ever actually feel so full if they just ate you know sugar if they ate fructose if they ate high fructose things even if they felt full they'd probably still be able to sip down a coke so there's a thing in our brain that just keeps allowing us to put more and more in of any of these things fat sugar and often people who feel really full once they've eaten sweets can then still fit in some hot chips which are 
carbs and fat and salts. So that trigger in the brain to basically never allow us to feel full often only comes from people who are experiencing bloating after eating too many plants. So, you know, fruits, very nutrient dense in sugar, in energy, and some would say vitamins as well. Um, but then you come to the stuff that's just, you know, it only would have been 500 years ago, maybe where tubers were nothing like what they are now. A sweet potato would not have tasted so sweet. It would not have been so easy to eat that sort of food, but it was manageable and people would have been able to do it, but it certainly wasn't a food that they could have craved more and more of and eaten till forever. So I think, yeah, we're, we're able to eat as much fat, protein and sugar as we want. And then the plant stuff, which is much more fiber based and really designed to make us feel full is really not how we would have eaten, you know, not very long ago. Okay, so yeah, in terms of general diet, um, again, I'll emphasize, and you, I think you'll agree with this, your, your choice of really restricting what you eat, it comes down to personal uh, reasons based on histamine and, and, and inflammation and yep. chronic fatigue and IBS, mm -hmm. etc. Right, aches, aches and pains, depression. Yeah, yeah, everything. So what I I would are you familiar with it, the author um, Nassim Taleb? I don't think so. He is quite a well known book called Anti Fragile. No, really good. I'll give you a link after this. Long story short, one of the um, his chapters is on it's called the power of subtraction, and that's kind of what you are doing. Today's way of trying to fix things is to add. Right. Mm. So when you know you go to a standard dietitian and, they, and you say you have inflammatory problems, they'll tell you to eat more of certain mm. food groups. You know to get more antioxidants and to get more um, uh, anti-inflammatory compounds, etc. Whereas your um, your way of doing things is actually sub subtract. Yeah. So the le less is more. Um, well, I think uh, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the phrase that I use a lot now to avoid, to try and open up a discussion with people when they say, oh, you need this or that. And you just ask, well, what's the problem? So if somebody says to you, oh, but you need fiber and you need fermented foods to, you know, to be healthy. And you say, well, what's, what's the problem? Like, what's the problem that you're experiencing? And let's look at what would fix that problem. Let's not just, as you said, add stuff in because somebody's told us we need fiber, we need fermented foods, we need probiotics and prebiotics and um, all of that stuff. And it's like, no, let's ask, let's just openly have a discussion about what is the problem and then work backwards from there. So, you know, if the problem is that you've got IBS, you don't go, okay, let's add stuff to that that we're not sure about, but there's, there's a big, you know, the, the research says it may help. So let's just throw it at it. And yeah, much, much rather than, well, we're eating something that is already inflammatory for you. Let's step back and reduce that. And then we can start to reintroduce once you've found there's no more problem. Yeah, I mean, I, it's the way I've worked for years. And uh, I became one of the reasons I became known is because of my approach to training, I always did, I always recommended fast state 
uh, training, right? So when I started with the pro cyclists, they always wanted to know, okay, they, they, they kind of got how, how it worked, but they wanted to know what they could have to help them faster train. You know, coconut oil with their coffee, <laughs> yeah. BCAAs, protein. And I was just kind of saying, look, the best way to do faster training is to have nothing, you know? And a lot of um, the way the body works and, and, and life is by doing that. But what it doesn't bring is it doesn't bring any profit. So that's why your way of what you've, you, you've described and my approach to a lot of things with faster training doesn't bring any commercial gain. You know? and no, you can't sell it. And no. even your ideas and my ideas, we can't sell anything. We can't say, here's the five-step program. Yeah. It's going to or here's the, here's, the, here's the liquid of, that will help you, yeah. the, the pill or the food or whatever, you know. Exactly. It's, um, but even coming down to programming things for people in, in whether it's training or their diet, and it still comes back to, no, we just, we just have to go with what you're comfortable with. We see what little changes affect you and then your ability to adapt to that mentally. A lot of it's mental adaption to changing the way that they used to eat. Um, and then, you know, we get to where we need to go eventually, but there is no five step plan for everybody that you can just pump out. No. So fast forward 11 months, you're a couple of weeks out from Kona. <laughs> what would be your approach the day before with food? And what would be your approach on race day with food? Um, Food-wise, I can see myself still just focusing on um, just grass-fed red meat, um, mostly for the nutrient content, um, things like carnitine um, and all the other amino acids and the beneficial um, fatty acids. And that would pretty much be it right up till, till race day. Um, I can't see myself changing and trying to add any carbohydrates. It just doesn't make sense because, I, as I said, I'm so efficient at gluconeogenesis um, that I wouldn't risk trying to load my muscles with more glycogen. I mean, at the end of the day, that's going to add more weight. <laughs> um, so I don't really want to start the race heavier. And so you wake up in the morning before the race? Yeah, I, I, would, I, would do, I would go, I would race faster for sure. Um, okay. I've never been comfortable eating, even when I was on a high carb race plan, I could never really eat in the morning and it just didn't feel right. I would always stuff down like about half an energy bar, um, a couple of hours, an hour or two before the race. So I knew enough to not load up. In my first year as a professional, like 17 years ago or 15 years ago, um, I was taught the whole don't spike your insulin and blood sugar before the race. So I was having a little bit of food a couple of hours before and then just sipping on water until race day, until the, until the start. And then I'd have a gel just before the start. Um, but now I would definitely have nothing. That's how I've approached all my half Ironmans, meet the day before, fasted race, flat out. And for an Ironman, I haven't tested that yet. But at the moment, I'm leaning towards a very minimal carbohydrate mixture that is very high in minerals, potentially some amino acids, and that would be it. But minimal energy exogenously. Um, and also some probably 
some ketone esters. I've been using a bottle of esters, HVMN esters in the, um, uh, in the halves that I've done. Whether it does anything or not, I don't know for me because I'm not running out of energy at any point. I do use caffeine and I would definitely use caffeine in an Ironman, but not as, not as much as I use it in the half. I'd, I'd save it towards when I really needed it towards the back end. And um, yes, I would definitely just focus on the hydration through a very high mineral and not just minerals, but like I say, any, any other supplement that we can add in there that is potentially going to help um, blood plasma, energy levels, fat oxidization without actually ingesting any whole foods. Okay. Like so there, would, there would be a lot of first, first time things there. So you'd be a pro <laughs> going in on a, with a pro license to race Kona world championships without any carbohydrate loading the day before. In fact, virtually mm -hmm. none. For the year before, yeah. <laughs> and doing something that probably, I don't know, if, I'd like to know if it's ever been done before. Has anyone ever raced Kona or an Ironman fasted? Um, to me, it makes perfect sense, right? And mm. um, to most other people, it wouldn't. You would then be looking at doing probably an eight-hour-ish race, which is basically, you know, mm. top 10, top five, possibly podium, and not taking in any so-called fuel for the pace at which you're running at. Yeah, um, I could be taking in my entire race could be as much as some athletes take an hour. Yes. So <laughs> on that very subject, I discussed this with Professor Tim Noakes. The reason I think gels and, 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 and flat coke and sports drinks work primarily for the central governor, keep your brain mm. happy. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you use carbohydrates for the brain for that very reason? Well, that's partly why towards the back end of the race, like, well, rinse and spit Coke, definitely. As at every aid station, I would rinse and spit Coke, I think, um, to help with that central governor, the taste of sweetness. I would potentially ingest a very small amount of carbohydrates through the um, bike and the run. And... I would find other ways to also keep my central governor happy, such as caffeine, such as... Keto esters a, as well, would keep the, uh, the brain happy. Yeah, keep ketone esters as well. Um, then I just actually just got a delivery um, of the Unimate. Yep. You've heard of that one? So it's another... Oh stimulant from the yerba mate plant that's been refined down and they've produced a product that has uh it's the thebro theobromide i think um and a okay. couple of other chemicals from the plant caffeine like caffeine like yes exactly but just obviously different receptors so yep. you can get it um i have started playing around with nicotine outside of training yeah and I do find outside of training, I get a bit of a delayed response. So I don't feel great at the, that minute that I have it. It may just be the gum because I'm chewing gum. Um, but it's a relatively clean gum, um, this Lucy brand. And it hasn't got the titanium dioxide and um, that can be bad for your gut lining and stuff. So 
I've mucked around and I feel good like an hour later. So I've actually had some gum before I've done a presentation on stage the last couple of weeks. I've done a couple of talks and I find that I do just, it does give me a little bit of a, I'm just a bit more switched on. So instead of just loading with caffeine, cause I don't drink a lot of coffee and I don't want to have coffee all the time. Um, that, that I'm mucking about with and in training as well. I do find it, but I haven't actually used it in the middle of a session. I've used it pre session, pre race at very small doses, like one milligram. Um, but I haven't used it throughout a race. So whether that's something where you, you know, chuck on a nicotine patch for the whole race, maybe um, things like that. There's still a lot of experimentation to be done around legal supplements that, uh, you know, could be a great benefit to the central governor theory. And I'll, I'll keep picking your brain over the next 12, 11 yeah. months of it. <laughs> well, I, I honestly do think one of the best legal supplements is, is glucose for the brain, right? During, during. Um, but look, I, I could go on and on. And I'm just glad we found you because, uh, like I said, I'm banging my head against the wall for almost 10 years saying that this can be done and it can be done at elite level and mm. um, so you know you need to keep you know you need to keep going and it needs to get out to more people and uh, to finish off and i'm going to put some links up to because like you and are you married yeah yeah and you, so you, you your own, um, business with your wife is that right yeah um to finish off about health uh, health coaching uh, yeah health coaching I work with a lot of Ironman triathletes, distance runners, cyclists, obviously. Um, now they're not going for eight-hour Ironman. Um, I've got a guy I'm working with who's a pro professional ex-Terra triathlete. Um, he would be nowhere near your what you're doing with your diet in, in terms of fat adaptation and low carb. What would you give the average person what would your one recommendation be in terms of how to, how to become less, less reliant on carbohydrates and, and how to be able to, you know, be fat adapted and what would be the, what would be your general advice and maybe to the current clients that you coach at the moment? Um, it's, it's perception is everything. That's my key advice. Perception is everything. So, even if you are swapping over and you experience low blood sugar, that's just a temporary state of your brain freaking out. So what you need to do at that point, if you've done a fasted training session, but aren't fully fat adapted, all you need to do is just stop your session, calm yourself down. So stand there, close your eyes, take some be breathes, breathe into your belly and just get your nervous system to relax, get your brain to relax have a sip of water. And if you, if, if you give yourself sort of five minutes to just go, okay, I'm safe. You need to do that to yourself. Tell yourself, literally say in your head, I'm safe. I'm okay. This will pass. Um, it's just a very temporary freak out from your brain. That's used to only using glucose and it's freaking out. So if your gums are going tingly, hands are tingly, blurry vision, fancy, you're feeling faint. It's just your perception of low energy. It's not actual low energy. So, um, you know, like once you're fat adapted and you would, you would be the same that our blood sugars are regularly below four and a half, 4.5. So 
that's probably not even where people freak out if they're not fat adapted. They're probably still at like 4.8, but their body's never been that low. So it's all perception. So that's in training. And then outside of training, you have to ask yourself the same question. Am I tired just because I'm, I've had a busy day, it's been a stressful day, and my brain has just used up all its mental energy. It's, it's got oxidative stress, the same as my quads would if I did you know, four hours of hill repeats. It's just your brain is tired. So you just need to sleep. You don't need to go and grab um, gels or fruit and think that that will give you energy for the session you're about to do. If you need energy and you still want to get the session done and push through this feeling of being tired, you need something else. You need to do some mental techniques or you need to use a stimulant like a, um, a coffee or a tea, uh, a caffeine. And even if you just have a little bit of something, as I say, this is my advice as well for, for our clients. It's if you get to that point and you're shaky and you're faint, um, just have a little bit of something you like. So if you really love Coca-Cola, have some Coca-Cola, but just don't have a lot of it because even just tasting something that you enjoy is going to release more happy hormones than if you had a gel that you taste like crap and then you try and get that energy. So if you're low blood sugar, eat something you enjoy for the happy hormones. If you're tired from work, do something that gives you happy hormones Um, And if that is a bit of glucose, then so be it. But do it for the enjoyment, the relaxation, and not because of the energy that it's necessarily um, is or isn't going to affect things. And sometimes you do just need to not do the session and go to bed. (laughs) I like like that. The head head rules, full stop. Um, Mm. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the, the the podcast recording here, but I'm just gonna hit record. Can I just I just can I get you to stay on because I have a few other things to go through with you. So yes, uh, look, uh, it was a great podcast. I'm gonna try and get this out to the, the general public. Well, uh, I'll um, I'll put uh, Jan Fredato's uh, link on on it on Twitter or something, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll go from there. But anyway, thanks, Pete, and I'll talk to you in a sec. Cheers.